The following recording may or may not include instances of words being said that the FCC would find me for if their long arm could ever reach. It's Monday, April 22nd, 2019. From Slated to the Gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Yesterday, Donald Trump's lawyer, successful lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, got himself booked for in-person interviews on three different Sunday shows. They all tape around the same time, and this required him to get from the NBC to the CNN to the Fox studios, all within about an hour of each other. Given the tight time constraints, this became a predictable talking point. And you're not giving me a chance to explain the other side. That was Rudy to Chris Wallace on Fox. So is this exchange? According to the Mueller report, sir. Can I finish, Chris? It's a complex answer. He asked a complex question. I got to give a complex answer. I I mean, there were a lot of reasons why it was... Well, okay, but I I, I understand what you're saying is that the investigation was biased. Okay. Okay. I know you don't want a long answer, but, you know, in fairness... Likewise, with Jake Tapper, Rudy made a similar pleading for more time to lay his thoughts on us. Can I ask you a question about but Donald wait, again? wait, no, I want to finish the thought. It's a really important thought. Uh-huh. And on Meet the Press, Rudy similarly needed to get into other important issues. Do you, do you let me answer the question? Yeah. Would you like to know the truth or just one side of the truth? The points Rudy was trying to emphasize included such salient facts as President Obama once lied when he said, if you like your health insurance, you could keep it. Also... Well, you might say Donald Trump dallied with a foreign power, but Dianne Feinstein once employed a driver who was perhaps giving info to the Chinese. Rudy also wanted you to know that, well, maybe Mitt Romney was critical of Donald Trump vis-a-vis the Mueller report, but Mitt's not that ethical. And then the other very important point that Rudy wanted to emphasize and needed the time to do it, that the Australian diplomat whose tip prompted the Trump-Russia investigation, was a donor to Hillary Clinton, even though she wasn't a donor to Hillary Clinton. Here's how Tapper handled that. Big contributor to Hillary Clinton, even though he's an Australian. Contributor to Hillary Clinton, he's an Australian. You can't contribute to No, no, he's a, he's, I think he's a citizen now. Not, not illegal. He raised money for her, helped to get money. Oh, oh, to the foundation. I'm sorry. To the Clinton to the foundation. foundation. But he was not even a donor to the Clinton Foundation. To take one strand of this tendentious distraction technique on parade, the Australian diplomat who did tip off the U.S. government that something could be going on with Trump and Russia, which, by the way, did you read the report? I think it's worth investigating. When that guy was the foreign minister of Australia, Australia gave a grant, as governments do, to a big charity, which the Clinton Foundation was, and this grant was meant to fight AIDS, which it did. Tapper had a lot to get to, and there's no way humanly possible that Tapper could have reined Rudy in on his distraction techniques, because Rudy's job was to not let him get to any of the good questions, but to inaccurately throw out descriptions and labels that bore little resemblance to the fact. He called one of Mueller's investigators a hitman, and he said Paul Manafort was thrown in solitary confinement. Again, Tapper couldn't possibly get get into it, but let me read a description of solitary confinement. Quote, Manafort had nearly all day access to a separate workroom to meet with his legal team. He had a personal telephone. He had his own bathroom and shower facility. He had a personal laptop. He was literally caught during a monitored phone call saying he was being treated like a VIP. At the end of the interview with Tapper, he did try to get rid of Rudy politely. Rudy was not having any of it. It reminded me of every time I've desperately tried to end a phone call without being rude, but also 
really needing to end the phone call. Unfortunately, I, I have to cut you off. If you, out think of that's a one, if you think that's a fair document, I won't play all of the efforts. Say, thank you, we got to go. Thank you, we got to go. Because it does go on for over a minute. But maybe we could just isolate some of Jake Tapper's. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. But that infects the entire document. Well, I mean, yeah, okay. Mr. Mayor, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for being the Ukraine here. Ukraine is Easter. investigating happy, the Clinton campaign. Happy Easter for, to you and your for family. Being Jake Tapper there wished a happy Easter. I'm sure it took every ounce of his being to note, actually, sir, I celebrate Passover, which thankfully for us lasts seven days, eight nights. On the show today, I spiel about Senator Elizabeth Warren of House Herring, the first of her name, the Roynar and the Rutgers. Lady of the Harvard Law School, Lady of Dragonstone in the FDIC Advisory Committee on Economic Inclusion, Queen of Marine in the United States Senate Banking Subcommittee on Financial Institutions and Consumer Protection. But first, and this is a big one, an incredible one, an edible one, eggs. For such a fragile orb, they certainly have bounced back and forth in the public consciousness as a source of nutrition or a source of harm. Maria Konnikova is here to settle the score, to possibly settle my hash, but also to settle for a fried egg over corned beef hash. Delicious! It's small. It's white. It's oblong. It's... I think you know what I'm talking about, Mitch McConnell. No, it's an egg. We're talking about an egg. What the American Egg Council once branded as the incredible edible egg, which then became verboten to people who are watching their cholesterol. And then since then has ping-ponged back so many times that if it happened with a real egg, it'd be an omelet right now. You know, eggs are probably the number one food where the opinion of them, if they're healthy for you, has changed the most in my lifetime. Probably the number one food. I know, like wine or alcohol, we've had one or two zigs and zags. But with eggs, it's like seven. There was just a new study out. And now where am I? Eggs are bad. I can't keep it straight. Joining me now to man our omelet station is Maria Konnikova. She is the author of The Biggest Bluff. She is also the person who comes in and weighs in on matters of science in our segment called Is That Bullshit? Maria, hello. Let's talk eggs. Let's talk eggs, Mike. So what was the latest study? Got a lot of attention. Eggs it bad did. is the it latest did. study. Yes. So first I actually tried to see how many times it's gone back and forth. Yes. Oh, and I wonderful. Could, yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't quite get it. But so in the 1950s, that's the first time that I could find that there's actually this push from egg associations that says eggs are great. Oh, before so, 1950, they were seen as bad. I thought they were just seen no, as like part just, of a healthy yeah, diet they, with whole milk. Yeah, but there was no one, no one was cigarettes. really talking about yeah, it. Okay. That was just like everyone ate eggs. Yes. But so in the 1950s, we have this big egg marketing board mm-hmm. campaign that says that an egg is the best way to start a day. Okay. Isn't that a great slogan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so throughout the 60s, we actually get pretty high consumption. It averages at about six eggs per person per week. Well, with the Egg Council egging us on. Absolutely. Yeah. But then we learn about cholesterol. And there's and this egg is on the their first, face. Exactly. Yeah, that's the first uh-oh moment. And we also learn about cholesterol and heart disease. Right. Yes. So... Not only do we learn that eggs have a lot of cholesterol, well, we've known this, but suddenly cholesterol is a big thing because mm-hmm. we suddenly have this association between cholesterol and heart disease and people start thinking, oh, can't eat eggs anymore. Right. So now we swing back. 
back then, we were just looking at total cholesterol, which ends up being a really bad measure because we have LDL and HDL. I will refer listeners back to our segment on this so that they can get into all the wonderful details. And it ends up that what matters is not just your total cholesterol, but the ratio of these to each other. Interactivity of them. Yes. So then, though, it ends up that those studies that were done with cholesterol, that they didn't control for things like saturated fat or smoking. Mm. Um, So all of a sudden people say, well, maybe it wasn't the eggs. So then in the 1970s, our limits are put down that each American shouldn't eat more than two to four eggs a week. Wow. That's still that's still a range. It's a range, but... But it's much it's lower. It's not free range. It's not free range, right. for sure. So then we start learning more about cholesterol, and we start learning more about eggs. And since the 1970s, the recommendations, I can't even keep track of, yeah. of them. It was pretty straightforward, you know, eggs good, eggs bad, eggs good, eggs bad. Eggs benedict, yeah. Eggs benedict, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. But now, then it starts getting really scrambled up. I, you've got me doing it. Uh-huh, I, I can't. Uh-huh. I can't stop. Yeah, I can't yeah, stop. Yeah. You kind of poached my thing, but that's I did. Fine. I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Soft poaching, though, mm-hmm. but it's okay. Yeah. So now we get to this. I guess we should talk about the current study, and we should also talk about what the nutritional value is of an egg outside of a study. So what we know about eggs, why people like eggs, um, is because they're relatively low in fat. Yeah. One egg has fewer than 80 calories. Like yeah. It just depends on the size, but let's call it 78 was, was a number I saw. 80 okay. was a number I saw. Yeah. Few calories, good amount of protein. Sure. Um, you can put things in them. You can put things ingredients. in them. Ingredients. Yeah. Um, and there's actually some good stuff that comes from cholesterol. So we need cholesterol to process a lot of things to make estrogen, testosterone, vitamin D. It has your good fats. It has yeah. about five grams of the mono and polyunsaturated fats. So that's a good source of that if you're, once again, if you need a source of that. It has amino acids, minerals, proteins, antioxidants, choline, vitamins. There have been studies that have shown that um, some of the things in eggs are actually very protective against macular eye fun- degeneration and cataracts. So it's yeah. good for your eyesight as you get older. Vitamin D is good for your bone health and your immune system. And choline, which is in eggs, is good for metabolism, brain function, and fetal brain development. So these are the things that um, people who say that there's a lot of nutritional value to an egg, this is what they would put forward. Because by the way, I don't even think we'd be having this conversation if it was just like an egg has cholesterol and that's it. Mm -hmm. And there was nothing good about it. Because then then we just say, okay, well then, you know, don't eat eggs. Yeah. And that's we might, the of the just based on the deliciousness. But sure, yeah, sure. But, but they are good. Okay. But there's actually right. a lot of good nutritional right, right, right. value in the egg as well. It's not just like you're taking a shot of cholesterol. So this study came out in uh, JAMA in March 2019, so just a few months ago. And it was done from almost 30,000 adults. It was from six different prospective cohort studies in the United States. And uh, in general, each of these studies was about 17 and a half years long. And they spanned 1985 to 2016. Mm -hmm. But the point is that they followed people for a long time. And what they found, this is what's been very widely reported, was that each additional 300 milligrams of dietary cholesterol per day, and just by the way, 
for a point of reference, one egg yolk, if it's a large egg, has about 200 milligrams. Okay. So each additional 300 milligrams is associated with higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Yeah. And now, is that egg a day? Sorry, cholesterol a day? Is that uh, what it's saying? Yes, per day. Okay. Per day. So an egg um, and a half extra a day mm-hmm. yeah. um, is associated with higher incidence of cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. Okay. Um, and each additional half egg a day is associated with higher risk of incident cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. This so is pretty half an simple egg, to interpret, although if it might not be accurate, but what they're saying, what you're saying is more eggs, higher chance of death. That's exactly what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and they give you a 6% increased chance of cardiovascular disease for every half egg and an 8% increased chance of death by half egg. Wow. So, so if you have like a six egg omelet, you're, a, you're pretty much 48% chance of dying. <laughs> you have two so, of those a week, you're definitely going to die. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so now let's, let's look into what the study actually yeah. was showing. and what non-idiots these... interpretation, yes. Well, this wasn't, I mean, I'm, giving, I'm getting these numbers straight from the study. Well, my, so, by idiot, but, I mean six egg omelet, 48. Yes, yeah. yes the non-six egg out. omelet. So first of all, they were not just looking at eggs. They were mm-hmm. looking at cholesterol consumption. Mm-hmm. And all of these data, when I say 300 milligrams of dietary cholesterol, that's not just coming from eggs. In fact, in their study, 25% of the cholesterol consumption is coming from eggs. 42% is coming from meat. Yeah. And presumably the rest is coming from other sources of cholesterol because I realize that those two numbers do not add up to 100. Right. And the way that they assess this is the problem that we've talked about multiple times with studies of nutrition, which is it's really, really hard to do a controlled study mm-hmm. of any of this. You're just looking at people over the course of a number of years and they're self-reporting yeah. what they're eating. And the biggest, to my mind, flaw with this particular data is that they were only asked one time in this entire 17 and a half years about their diet um, based on recall. And then they assumed that that number would hold for the entire time. What? So this is a one-point measurement. That seems disqualifying. Well, like so, eight years in is like, hey, what you eat last week? And that's it. That's actually that's kind of how it is. <laughs> um, I didn't go. I started going through the supplemental materials. There are a lot of them. So I stopped. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get through the full methodology. But it does seem like this was a one point in time. Um, and they just assumed that people's diets were relatively stable. But it was also self-report and it was also based on recall. So it is a question yeah. of asking how many eggs or, you know, how much Were they doing this consume? study f- to find out about nutrition? Cause no. So, so these were six different studies yeah. that were looking at a lot of different health measures. So they, someone was trying to mine these uh, studies yeah. so and this was not this was not part. one study yeah, that was yeah. done for 17 years to look specifically at egg consumption. That right. study has not been done. See, I have seen people on like very smart science Twitter put out graphs about this study saying, controlled for meat, here's what it looks like. And it looks like there's no effect from eggs. Yeah, but so, I don't know how true that is. So I'm going to say this because um, this is one of the conclusions in their paper or one of the things that they talk about. But I haven't spent enough time with it to fully wrap my mind around what it means. But it seems that eggs and cardiovascular disease and mortality, that the link is no longer significant when you adjust for dietary cholesterol consumption. Yeah. So so when you actually completely control for all cholesterol coming from all sources, the link between eggs and that disappears. So the but the other the other reason why I think that 
this one study doesn't mean that all of a sudden we should stop eating eggs is because there have been other huge studies that have shown the opposite. So one of the biggest treasure troves of data that we have on health is a study that followed nurses mm-hmm. um, for over 20 years and looked at cardiac. the Framingham study? That, there, was, there was a Framingham study, yes. There are a few studies like that yeah. that, that have huge... People love the nurse study. Yeah, the nurse they have, study is great. The, the nurse study is great. And the nurse study actually found that eating an egg a day had no bad effects whatsoever. Um, so the nurse study said yay eggs and that it's not even bad for cardiovascular health. And then there have been studies that have been done with tens of thousands of people that have showed a lower risk of stroke with eating eggs, that there was no higher chance of cardiovascular disease and that you actually lower your chance of having a stroke. Yeah. So, so it's one of these things that, you know, we have actually a lot of studies that show a lot of different things. Right. And the data don't add up from and study I, to study. And I would think that last study, it's the most recent, it got the most attention. Yeah. But from what you're saying, it seems like it should be discounted for two reasons. Not discounted, but taken in the broader taken context. With a grain of, of egg, yes. Yeah. There's there's a lot of contrary data and there's flaws in that study. And that thing you said about just checking in once on over 17 years, it really makes me almost want to throw the whole thing out. No, I, I actually— I wonder why JAMA would I was it. I was surprised—well, because because the study was really right. rigorous and everything right. else. But to me, that one thing, it's a big demerit. I mean, I am not a fan of self-report data, period, especially when it comes to food, because when you have these huge sample sizes, yeah. people misremember what they ate. Back and I then, even wonder if people even know what's in what they ate. Like absolutely. a cake can exactly. have egg, but it doesn't have For to. Am sure. I right about that? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not They're not sure so what they eat. And they also, <laughs> and they also um, sometimes will misreport on purpose, just like they do in everything, because they want to appear yeah. a certain way. Right. Um, Everyone and s- watches PBS and doesn't watch porn and eats the right amount of eggs. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So, in my mind, these are. I'm not saying that the JAMA study was a bad one, but I'm saying that it does have severe limitations, and that I really don't understand why people aren't reporting more on the fact that this was a single. Yes. Single query that was done. And I just have this just reaction every single time a huge nutrition study comes out and everyone says, oh, everything we knew was wrong. Yeah. Um, it, to, to me, it just there that's just a red flag because it's gone back and forth so many times. And what I take away from this is, yeah, when you eat six eggs a day, there do seem to be negative effects. But we've even gone back on the fact that cholesterol consumed from food affects your blood cholesterol. Mm. I mean, the work on that is is shifting. Before, people thought that there was a direct relationship, and now it ends up that there's not. it's not one-to-one because our body makes cholesterol from fats and from other things we're yeah. consuming and carbohydrates. I find, and in general, we, we fall into this trap of we have this thing in our body, whatever it is, fat yeah. or cholesterol, that thing's also in food. And so we make this one-to-one comparison. Oh, if you eat the fat on the animal, you will get fat. Not always, not exactly. Exactly. Other things will contribute to that too. Yeah. Yep, yep. So I will ask the question, our uh, telltale question this yeah. way. The latest study should convince a person to be cautious about the number of eggs he or she eats. Is that bullshit? I think that's kind of bullshit. I think that we should be cautious about the number of anything we eat anyway, Mm -hmm. right? Overeating is bad. 
we need to be cautious of how much of any food we're putting into our body. Even eating too many carrots is bad for you, Yes. even though carrots have almost no calories and have all sorts of nutritional benefits. So overeating, overindulging in anything isn't great. Um, and so I just think you need to exercise, as with all food, exercise common sense and realize that, yeah, you probably don't want to be eating 10 egg omelets, but if you've been that eating... That's not an omelet, right? <laughs> right. At that point, I don't know what it is. But... Just because of this one study, do you stop eating eggs? No. Yeah. Because believe me, I mean, I'm willing to bet money on the fact that within the next 10 years, even within the next five years, we're going to have another big study that says something good about eggs. And when Maria Konnikova is ready to bet money, it means something because she does this for a living. As detailed in her forthcoming book, The Biggest Bluff. Maria, this was uh, hard. You boiled it down. It was a great A effort. Thank you, Maria Konnikova. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike. And now the spiel. Senator Elizabeth Warren is out with an article in New York Magazine offering policy prescriptions within a Game of Thrones framework. It is titled, The World Needs Fewer Cersei Lannisters. It is for some reason getting more attention than her National Parks Initiative and her agriculture policy proposals. Luckily for the author of The World Needs Fewer Cersei Lannisters, in fact, the world doesn't even have one Cersei Lannister. She is a fictional character and a fictional character operating in a world different from this world at that. Perhaps you could argue that the problems of college loans and monopsonies are bigger, but I think we could all agree that Cersei's much, much nastier. I was interested to hear what Elizabeth Warren would have to say about how the real world intersects with Game of Thrones, since George R.R. Martin is keenly interested in how Game of Thrones intersects with the real world. In general, Martin's books are very observant about the nature of leadership and the common good. They are, generally speaking, a lot deeper and more honest about politicians than politicians themselves are willing to go. In George R. R. Martin's books, I think as in real life, bad people sometimes deliver good policies for ambivalent reasons. It's a fundamental idea that Martin loves exploring, but to hear a politician in our world talk, it's the bad people who want to keep you down because they're bad people. We are the good people. Vote for us. You will get the good policies. Politicians campaign like Daenerys Stormborn, who is the main female character in Game of Thrones, who Elizabeth Warren identifies with as she is the breaker of chains. But in real life, once the chains get broken, it's not the end of the story. It's a lot of governing to do. It's all covered in Game of Thrones' companion piece, How to Feed Your Dragons. In the New York Magazine piece, Elizabeth Warren quotes approvingly of Daenerys' desire to break the wheel, as she put it in Episode 8, Season 5. Lannister, Targaryen, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell. They're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. It's a beautiful dream. Stopping the wheel. You're not the first person who's ever dreamt it. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. Great line for a queen, great line for a campaigner. But as Tyrion, the other character in that scene, who's kind of like the George Stephanopoulos of Westeros, asks, 
after you break the wheel, how do you make sure it stays broken? Good question. Further complicating the break the wheel idea is that Danny gave a full version of the break the wheel speech right before she had her dragons roast some captives who would not submit to her authority. Warren doesn't look at breaking the wheel in such a pejorative sense. Here's Warren writing, quote, This is a revolutionary idea in Westeros or anywhere else. A queen who declares that she doesn't serve the interests of the rich and powerful. A ruler who doesn't want to control the political system, but to break the system as it is known. It's no wonder that the people she meets in Westeros are skeptical. Okay, maybe they're skeptical because they have a failure of wheel-breaking imagination. Or maybe they remember the time she had her dragons burn the guys who wouldn't submit to her. Even as she pitched them on the refreshing new era of wheel-breaking and extra crispiness. I, Daenerys of House Targaryen, first of my name, breaker of chains and mother of dragons, sentence you to die. Dracarys. Warren then engages in a critique of Cersei Lannister. This critique is not centered on the incest and the murders and the cruelty and having her meister torture people and the murders and the killing of the dire wolf lady and the murders, all the murders. No, Warren's critique is that Cersei props up the banking system. Quote, Cersei's betting on the strength of the bank to get her through the biggest fight of her life. It never crosses her mind that the bank could fail or betray her. Now, if you don't know Game of Thrones, you might not know what the alternative choice is to the one that Cersei is making. Yeah, Cersei bought an army and the bank's floating her alone. That is Cersei's choice. You know what the other choice is? Facing an army of the undead who cannot tire and who cannot be killed by normal means. Warren seems to be saying that trusting bankers is the more unethical choice. It's also the less tactical choice than facing this tireless army of the undead. Hmm. Overall, I think the New York Magazine essay is a fun departure for Elizabeth Warren, allowing her to fangirl out on the one piece of monoculture we might have left. Her opposition to an evil queen who everyone hates is perhaps less brave than she'd like us to believe. I would say if the article were a Reddit post and not an op-ed from a presidential candidate, it'd get like maybe two dozen votes. But still, it is a mix of the high-minded and the middle brow, and therefore it is smart campaigning. Personally, Warren would have earned my vote if the article had concluded with the following sentiment. When you're fighting the undead, get out of the crypt! Get out of the crypt, people! You know, I wouldn't be so surprised, if Warren's op-ed takes off, to see other candidates adopting such tactics. In fact, I can announce now that next week in Slate's Browbeat, Senator Bernie Sanders will be taking on the Real Housewives franchise. Teddy Mellencamp is a member of the 1%. She colluded to smear Dorit over the issue of Lucy Lucy Apple Juicy. No, no, it's a fair question. It's a fair question. I believe that quality skincare is a basic human right, not just available to millionaires and billionaires and countesses. Medicare for all, including mental health counseling for Nini, who tore at Porsche's dress like the Republican tax cuts, tear at the very fabric of society. I believe in a government that works for all of us, where the people rule and not Vanderpump rules. And that's it for today's show. The Gist is produced by Pierre Bien-Aimé and Daniel Schrader, who have co-penned an editorial 
that diagnoses the ills of our housing shortage and addresses serious issues of urban overcrowding. It is titled, How Much Fuller Can a Fuller House Get? That's available on Medium. TJ Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcast. She hasn't written an article on a TV show that poses serious questions about society. Rather, she points to one that has all the answers. How can we tell if tariffs are the right policies or the wrong ones? How should we determine who is qualified to sit on the Fed board? Fox's mental samurai will tease out all these difficult questions. You want good answers? Open a dialogue. You want smart answers? Start your dialogue with a guy strapped into a high-speed mechanical arm as Rob Lowe peppers him with queries. We will get all the answers we need. The gist. How come no one is asking, why isn't Hillary being investigated for illegal mining in Casterly Rock? Maybe that's the question we should be asking. It doesn't take a three-eyed raven to see there is something up with that. Am I right? Um, Peru, da Peru, do Peru. And thanks for listening. So then we'll play that clip from the show. Bye, bye, bye. I sent you to die. Bye.